Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. What's up, everyone, and welcome to another special episode of IndiePod, where we get to talk to the people behind some of our favorite indie games. Today, we have the founder of Proponent Games, Riley McShane. Thanks for joining. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. It's, uh, it's awesome to be here. I am super excited that you are glad because it would suck if you'd weren't um but i'm also very glad already i know uh who who put you up to this um but i'm glad you're here because honestly the game does look and i said this you know before we even started recording it looks like one that i would really enjoy one that i'd be into but before we get into the game we always like to kick this off with the people behind the games themselves so tell me a little bit about yourself and kind of how you got into you know the game creation world yeah absolutely so i uh you know, I've been playing playing video games my whole life. I'm 32 years old right now, turning 33 here in just about a month. So, uh, you know, grew up in the 90s. Um, you know, Super Nintendo, Sega Genesis were like my first uh, gen of consoles. So, played a lot of platformers, a lot of, you mm-hmm. know, action RPGs. Uh, or I guess you could say like 2D action platformers of the time. Um, right. It's funny, you look at games like Symphony of the Night, right, for like PS1. And it doesn't bill itself as like a platformer; it bills itself as an action adventure game. And I'm like, ah, sure. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyway, um, so yeah, so I grew up playing uh, a lot of a lot of video games. I've always been super into video games, but uh, my other love has always been music, um, hmm. and that is where my uh, career trajectory has kind of taken me up until this point. So interesting. Um, yeah, I sing for a, a death metal band called A Legion that's uh, on Metal Blade Records. I'm actually out in Denver right now. We're recording our sixth album on contract with them. Wow, um, look at you. All this, yeah, and all this, all this fun stuff. So it's a, it's a fun little juggling thing. But when uh, the reason I mentioned that, you know, is just as a little bit of background because we, um, we had to stop touring, right, when the coronavirus right. pandemic hit. Um, and so when we stopped touring, which is like our main source of income, uh, it was, I was just kind of all of a sudden left in a place where I was just like, you know, oh shit, what do I do? Like I have mm-hmm. no, uh, you know, no tours, you know, it's something that I've been doing for the better part of the last decade. Um, so, you know, my, my resume is great in the music industry, <laughs> but I can't, you know, go knocking on doors and, and you know, trying to find nine to fives, uh, especially when the pandemic had just hit, it was something right. that like nobody could really do. Right. So I got to thinking and, uh, it was like, Hey, well, you know, I've always wanted to make a game. Um, so what I kind of started thinking about was, okay, I have this game script. It's kind of like a, like a visual novel retro thing, very like to the moon, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. type of, type of game. 
And so I started shopping it around. I started talking to people. Um, and I have I have no game development history. Right. Um, so it was like I had this idea and I had everything written out for it. And I had kind of the, the, the storyboard put together. But I needed a team uh, to put the game together. Mm-hmm. So I started shopping out uh, to people, seeing what interest might be. I had a few connections uh, in the video game industry just from, you know, years of touring and, and, and making music and stuff. It's like you just you meet people, your network grows. Right, um, just general networking. Yeah, exactly. So I uh, started talking to some people and the quotes that I was getting for like a vertical slice, um, which for those of you listening that might not know what that is, is, is basically just a... Uh, like a fully functional piece of mm-hmm. the game, right? It's mm-hmm. it's, it's a, a top-down example, which is why it's called a vertical slice of like how the game functions, what it looks like, you know, a, a, a feature complete demo. So like, yep. like a tech demo, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started looking into like what it would cost to get a vertical slice and the quotes that I was getting were like in the thirty to $50,000 range. Wow. Um, and I was like, man, you know, with that, kind of money uh and that kind of investment it seems like a a, a big risk right it seems like a big yeah, risk to, sure. to to put into like a demo and then you still have to gauge publisher interest and all this kind of different stuff so i was like you know what if i just took that same amount of money and started talking to you know developers for other games uh and used the network that i built through music to create like a publishing type of thing mm-hmm. um you know from working in the music industry i've you know been around my share of uh like like record deals and the structure like from a business perspective of a recording contract and a video game publishing agreement are like really really similar um hmm. okay. you know there's there's little differences here and there but it's it's mostly the same thing of like you know, we give you an advance, you make the product, we market the product, distribute the product, uh, and after it's out, we recoup our advance, and then once everything is all settled and good, uh, you know, we split revenue from that point forward on, like, a, you know, percentage-based royalty type of thing. Right, um, right. So, you know, pretty much exactly the same. The only thing about the music industry is that it's been slanted against artists for such a long time that like that's just kind of how it is right Mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. and as i as i started to you know talk to more people and 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 get a better kind of grasp on you know on the landscape of of game publishing and game development i was kind of starting to see that like the same thing was (laughs) was true towards towards developers and i i you know immediately thought to myself like well that's not that's not what we're gonna do um so uh that's when i you know reached out to my business partner steve uh steve sawyer who has a pretty rich background in in gaming you know he's worked for uh you know devolver and 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 a few other companies uh done some esports stuff on the marketing side of things so he has you know uh, a good grasp on, on how things work uh on this on this side of the fence so um you know, I started speaking to him and I was like, Hey, you know, I want to, I want to do this publishing thing, but you know, it's, uh, I, I'm new to this industry. Mm -hmm. Uh, but you know, these are these things that I'm noticing and, you know, hit watching him just kind of like, 
smile and nod being like, yep, that's pretty terrible, huh? And I'm like, yeah, dude, it's not, it's not great. So uh, that's when we, you know, put our heads together and decided to start Proponent Games, which is, um, you know, a, a publishing company that's kind of for developers. Um, Very cool. Yeah. So, you know, we, we keep our... Uh, we let our, our developers keep their IPs, you know, everything obviously is a contract by contract, you know, kind of thing yeah, depending yeah. on, on mm -hmm. what we're doing for the game, whether it's just a marketing campaign or, you know, whatever it might be. But we, uh, you know, for games that we fund the development for and, you know, like market the release for and distribute and all that kind of stuff, uh, we let our developers keep the IP. We split our royalties 70-30 in their favor post-recoup. Um, you know, we're trying to shift shift things in such a way that it's like if any of our games do become you know particularly successful or do well even by you know uh softer industry standards that it sets a precedent right where it's like look you can treat developers this way and like still have everyone be happy in the end instead yes. of you know throttling their options being like well We'll give you this much, but this is how much we want back. And we know it sucks, but like, this is your only option. So you can either release it full indie or you can have a publisher that's going to rake you over the coals a little bit. So, yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of a little bit of our background uh, as far as, you know, where I came from and, and what uh, proponent is all about and what we're trying to do as we move forward. No, that's awesome. Um, I really, I really like this because normally we'll have like the main devs on the show. It's very rare that we have the publishers for certain games um so one it's you know a breath of fresh air in in that regards and two it allows me to ask a different set of questions right because you're going to have a different side of things right and i think one of my first ones uh, and this is really just with any publisher is kind of what is that relationship like or what is that thing that you have to see for you to say oh proponent games is going to be a part of this, right? Because there's a lot of things you have to take in consideration, right? Is that game going to be a financial risk? Is there that promise of this is a great idea? You know, I, I'm sure there's a lot of factors that go into into what you define as uh, a good deal kind of a thing or something that is, is worth your time and makes it uh, valuable for both parties. But let's take maybe, you know, as a specific example, uh, the game we're going to talk about today, which is Rise of the Betrayer, right? What was that thing that you saw or how did that relationship start with you saying, oh, we're going to be the publishers for this game? Um, well, that relationship was actually uh, cultivated by uh, my business partner, Steve. Um, okay, cool. He, he had met the uh, original lead dev, uh, you know, and gotten, gotten eyes on the game. I want to say maybe like a year prior to us actually, you know, starting the company and, and you know, scouting for, for titles. Mm -hmm. um, and for this particular game, it was really just kind of like a, a, a balance um, to what our usual mission statement looks like, right? So our usual mission statement when choosing games to kind of give a broader answer uh, to, yeah, the, yeah. to the original question is that it's like we stand on three pillars as a company um you know uh we want to give people opportunities we want to you know see that these opportunities are coming from a place of passion and then we want to you know cultivate a community to kind of support that and give it legs um 
okay. our other game, Anton Ball Deluxe, is you know the title that we really like dove head first into that idea with is that it's like you know the dudes behind that game are super passionate but they haven't necessarily had all the opportunities you know they do have a small community but something that could grow into something a lot bigger and so that's kind of what we you know pushed that towards whereas rise um you know was a little bit more of like uh you know this this game just looks really sick it has a lot of promise it's very clearly passion uh passion right. um and you know, it's it's taking a more traditional version of like a Metroidvania type of game, and then adding little flourishes into it uh, that you don't necessarily see all the time. Um, mm. The biggest mm -hmm. one being uh, the crafting system. Right. So with Rise, you know, once we got our our hands on you know kind of like a, a full scope game development document, we were like, oh, this crafting thing is like really cool. It's like a really unique element. And so right off the bat, we saw that this game had a marketability potential that not a lot of other Metroidvania titles have really capitalized on. Um, mm. So I think that was probably the main draw, um, you know, outside of meeting our initial criteria of like, you know, is this dev super passionate about this game? Like what, how, how has he managed to get this much done on it this thus far? Has it been, you know, uh, you know, because different devs take different paths, right? Some devs are like, this is my weekend project and I just like doing it for fun. But then other devs are like, this is all I do and all I want right. to do. And mm -hmm. then, you know, on the darker side of things, sometimes it's like, oh, I'm just fucking trying to like present this to publishers and scope creep and make money and just like leave the project mm -hmm. to win. Uh, which, you know, can, can definitely happen from time to time. But yeah, uh, with this title, it was like, you know, we saw the passion was there. We saw that unique element of marketability opportunity. And, uh, you know, we both just really liked the game. So, um, yeah. yeah. So for the, the, I guess to answer both questions at once for this game, particularly, I'd say that those are the elements intact that we kind of looked for, but for other games and for like our, our general mission statement, it, you know, we, we seek out those, those three criteria, you know, of, of, you know, passion behind the project you know, trying to support some, you know, underrepresented or marginalized groups in game development uh, that don't necessarily have the opportunities presented to them as often as, as uh, other groups. And then, you know, cultivating that community around them so that they can, they can, you know, have a proper opportunity to, uh, to get their game out there and showcase everything. And, right. uh, you know, once, once those three things are met, I think that's when we really start asking ourselves the more, you know, dry logistical questions of like, okay, will this game sell copies? Like, okay, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. you know, can we market this? All this kind of stuff because it is okay. a bit, you know, the day. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I like the the passion behind others' passions, right? That's essentially what I would hope comes from a publisher team because or a publishing team because you need to be able to really be their biggest advocate, right? Um, this might be a tough question. And I think that it's probably something more case by case, but I want to dive in a little bit deeper to that part where you said assessing their passion. Mm -hmm. What is it for you? And maybe you could use, you know, this game as an example, maybe just in general, what you think of it. But like, if I was like, let's say I was a developer and I was, I was creating a game and I was, I was saying, Hey, proponent games, I want you to be my publisher. Right. Well, what would I have to do to show you that I was passionate? Right. What, what to you 
showcases passion for a game when you're looking at the person creating it. Right. I mean, there's there's not there's not really one answer to that question. Mm-hmm. I feel like I feel like that's the kind of thing that can just kind of be sussed out through like a series of conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can usually tell where a person's motives lie uh, just by hashing it out, talking to them. You know, asking yeah. you know asking broad questions about the game. You know, okay, when did you start making this? You know, why why this type of game? All this kind of stuff. Uh, but honestly, it's it's really just the kind of thing that you kind of pick up along the way. Um, <laughs> so, you know, as, as we continue to talk to different developers and different, you know, publishing partners and, you know, marketing teams and PR firms and all this kind of stuff, you can really tell, at least in my experience thus far. Um, and I feel like this also comes from, you know, years of identifying this uh, same you know, pattern of behavior in the music industry. Right. It, like who's there because they love it and who's there because they're trying to capitalize on a trend or make a quick buck or whatever it might be. And it's it's not even that there's necessarily anything wrong with, you know, capitalizing on a trend or making a quick buck, but the flash in the pan business model generally tends to peter out. And I feel like yeah. with Proponent, we're trying to create somewhat more of like a legacy uh you know as i mentioned earlier you know leave leave a mark try to set a little bit of a new precedent in the indie game world um and so i feel like you know it's it's important for us to be careful about who we let into that circle um yeah yeah so i feel you know to get back to the kind of original point of the question is that it's like you know it's it, there's there's not necessarily like a, a a sheet of questions we have right when we're, when we're talking to the to the game devs it's really more right. about learning about who they are as people you know getting a little bit of their history you know in in games and in game development you know why did they start uh, all that kind of stuff um, yeah very much yeah. A, a assessment of kind of ideals and values if yeah you know. it's, a, it's a character assessment for sure for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that that's probably what goes the furthest as far as being able to identify, um, you know, what what kind of people we we'd like to be involved in the games and all that kind of stuff. And it's you know it's been a learning process so far. We're still a very young company, um, of course, you know, just barely under a year old. And uh, you know we've learned, uh, you know, sometimes the hard way that you know <laughs> things are not always as they seem. There's definitely wolves in sheep's clothing out there. And, yeah, uh, of course. You know, it, it it happens, but I'd rather be in a position where I'm giving someone the benefit of the doubt and then, you know, just making sure to, you know, set protective measures at the beginning of everything so that if things do turn out to be, you know, a, a less than optimal outcome, you know, mm-hmm. we, uh, we're, we're not totally just, you know, up shit creek without a paddle. Right. So, yeah. You know, be be the bigger person, but also cover your bases. Yeah, Absolutely. Right. That makes total sense. Let me ask you this before we dive into the game, because I I do obviously want to give the game some time uh, on the show. But how long has this been in development and how long have you been a part of the team? Um, I want to say that this game has been in development for probably close to three years. Um, That that could be incorrect. So don't uh, 
you know, <laughs> don't uh, don't make me swear on a Bible or anything on that one. But I gotcha, uh, I gotcha. But, I'll hold you to it. <laughs> but I do, I do know that the game, you know, before we were in the picture, had a uh, you know a Kickstarter campaign that didn't uh, didn't succeed. Um, you know, it was it was just one dude, uh, you know, sourcing all of the art and doing mm-hmm. all the programming and all this kind of stuff. Um, so I want to say that that was like for about two years before we came into the picture, and then uh, we signed the game last July. So uh, just about a year with us coming up. Um, yeah, wow. you know, in which case we've been able to, you know, fortunately provide additional programmers and artists and all kinds of stuff to really bring the game to that next level. Um, very cool. yeah. yeah, I was going to say that's, that was a very impressive, uh, you know, demo and trailer that I was seeing if that was just one person, not that it can't be done, but yeah, um, yeah. I mean, a lot it, in it. It, it, it started off as a one person thing, but, but really what you're seeing, uh, in that trailer, um, has also mostly been one person, wow. uh, you know, there were some issues uh, with the uh, with the original lead dev, um, you know, that kind of forced him off the project, unfortunately. But since then, uh, you know, like the secondary dev, um, this guy by the name of Neil Finger has been like just making such huge strides in the development mm-hmm. of the game uh, in such a short time. Like watching, seeing where the game was three months ago and where it is now is like kind of unreal uh you know and and granted he had a pretty big uh you know a a pretty big pool of source materials to work with right but but he like you know he really turned the game around and and made it something uh that i think is is super special and you know has has a lot of of potential to to make waves in the metroidvania you know 2d action platformer kind of scene yeah that's great so would you say um because you mentioned earlier that kind of walks of all lives when you're talking about what's a developer doing as far as this being their full-time thing, this being their part-time gig. Is this more of a full-time project uh, from the the different programmers and, and individuals who are on this project? Yeah, I'd say so. I'd say, I'd say that while they're working on the project, it definitely is a, a full-time thing. Um, gotcha. You know, most okay. of the artists that we've had on board, uh, the programmers, uh, pretty much everyone involved has been, you know, being scheduled and salaried at like anywhere from 28 to 40 hours a week. Um, okay. Yeah. Well, that's good. Yeah. Enough. So it's, it's definitely, it's definitely been a full-time thing. Obviously there's been exceptions. There's been people who are like, yeah, I'm happy to do some art assets for you, but like I have this other job I can really only dedicate, you know, yeah, of course, eight to 12 hours a week working on this kind of thing. And, you know, in that case it's, we're just happy to have their talent, you know, brought to the, to the overall pool um, and to the team of people working on the, on the title. Uh, but yeah, for the most part, it's, it's a full-time job, especially for the coders. Right. Of course. Of course. Okay. Let's actually dive into the game now, because I definitely want to talk about some things just from, you know, a mechanical perspective, just in general, how development is going. Mm -hmm. Obviously being the publisher, I know that some of these questions you might not be able to answer, but let's try to run through it. See how much, you know, if you don't though, uh, obviously, uh, you know, maybe we'll, we'll get a dev on one day for, for the game as well. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Part two of the Rise of the Betrayer. Part two. <laughs> yeah, and if anything, I've I've mentioned this before. I want to do things like post mortems for this. So you know, maybe when the game actually releases, we'll have uh, someone come on and talk about all the things that went right and went oh, wrong yeah. and whatnot. Regardless, let's actually dive into the game. So we are talking about today. Rise of the Betrayer, which I hope you know uh, by now because we're about 20 minutes in. <laughs> but, 
But that being said, um, you know, for those who don't know anything about Rise of the Betrayer, kind of can you give us a little bit of like your elevator pitch for the game? You know, what makes it special? What is this game all about? Yeah, absolutely. So Rise of the Betrayer is uh, a a 2D action platformer, uh, you know, more commonly known these days as a Metroidvania. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, similar to games like Blasphemous and Messenger and, you know, Hollow Knight, all those amazing games. you know, soundtrack centric, mm-hmm. uh, you know, beautiful visual presentation, all that kind of stuff. But what separates Rise of the Betrayer from uh, all those games that I had just mentioned is that it really has like crafting at its core. Um, yeah. So as you continue to, or as, as, you, as you make your way through the world, you fight enemies, you know, you get your story and mission objectives pretty early on. Uh, you know, there's all kinds of random drops, uh, all kinds of recipes that you can find, all kinds of different. Um, you know, different little assets that allow you to create spells and uh, items, all of which will help you explore the world um, mm-hmm. and give you an upper hand against certain enemy types, certain bosses. So there's no real one way to get through the game. In that sense, it it kind of has a little bit of like a roguelike flavor. There's nothing yeah. procedurally generated in it. So we don't want to really label it as a roguelite um, gotcha. because it's it's not like, you know, uh, Dead Cells or, you know, 20XX or anything like that, where it's, mm-hmm. you know, a, a new map every time you play or a new playing order of the maps and all that kind of stuff. Um, it's uh, but it does have that unique flavor to it in which, you know, no area is 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 walled off from the beginning of the game and how you progress into those different areas um is really up to the player and kind of is dependent on you know these random drops that you find for like skill scrolls or recipe scrolls um Mm -hmm. and then how you know you can kind of think uh on your feet to be like okay here's this part of the map here's how i want to get there here's the items that i can make um you know can i do this right now or i do do i need to do a little bit more exploring so not only does it have that unique kind of crafting uh system at its core but it also presents uh, a system in which there's a lot of replayability. Um, you know, for that reason, we give the player, oh God, I want to say it's like eight or 12 different save slots. Um, so that it's like, you can start all these fi- all these different files. You can have, you know, this, this wide uh, kind of spectrum of unique uh, playthrough experiences with the game. So it's cool. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'd say that's, that's probably the best, best way to suss it out as far as a, an elevator pitch goes is that it's a 2d action platformer metroidvania that is very crafting centric very crafting centric i love it uh before i dive into my other questions i did just want to mention um or ask you 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 talked about random drops now i assume that's something like killing a monster or finding something like maybe chests that are located through and you're saying those are randomized so what right. you find is going to be a little bit different it's the world's not different and you know the the structure or the layout of everything is different but the different items that you might get which will enhance your ability to traverse through that world is going to change am i correct in that yes absolutely certain certain items certain spells uh, are static and you know do um, you know kind of serve as like like cornerstones to the development of your character and your ability to explore the world. Right. But those are pretty heavily outweighed by the the different drops that you'll get. That it's like 
you know, one playthrough, you'll beat a certain boss and it'll drop a chest and then that chest will be a crafting recipe. But on a different playthrough, it might just be like a weapon upgrade or on a different playthrough, it might be a skill recipe. So, um, so yeah, so it, it, it definitely provides a lot of uniqueness, uh, for each character. But like I said, it does still have some of those static abilities. So, you know, players like speedrunners and people who are, you know, looking to, you know, do more, uh, strategy centric, uh, playthroughs aren't, you know, left outside in the rain. Right. Um, you know, there's still something for them as well. Yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. So one of the things uh, I just wanted to list out a couple of the different items that you mentioned in your Steam page, as far as kind of things that you can do in this game. Right? You have things like decision making. You have crafting. You have open world exploration. Now, this game seemingly has a lot going for it. Um, I always wonder about these more ambitious projects. You know, that have so many different pieces. Kind of, how did it all start? You know, was this a game, and and this kind of goes into both your partner and you looking at this uh, from from a while ago, and what it looks like now. You know, was this a game where from the beginning it had all of those features that really promoted, you know, that that crafting system, the the decision making, or has that been something that's kind of expanded over time and just piece by piece and through those iterations grown into something much bigger? Um. I'd say a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B, for sure. Um, okay. You know, when when we first started talks with this developer, uh, you know, the crafting thing was was for sure something he had mentioned. Um, but as as time went on and as as the game, you know, started nearing some production deadlines and stuff like that, we ended up in a position where you know, narrowing the focus on what we wanted out of the game mm -hmm. uh, was becoming more and more important. And right. uh, that was something that we definitely had to uh, work out. That was something that, that definitely wasn't there from the beginning and was something that, uh, you know, needed to be talked about, needed to be figured out. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, uh, since then has now been, you know, pretty much dialed in at this point. So yeah, definitely sense. had the crafting system, you know, inherent when it started, um, but it wasn't quite as like, focused as what it is now gotcha. um you know had those you know npc interactions that you know provided a little bit of lore but also gave the character you know a, a fork in a road to, mm -hmm. to decide on but didn't really have much in the way of like okay well after this interaction like what happens like how does that affect the overall gameplay experience so those things were there but they have also definitely been you know Fine developed and, and, and perfected over time yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And so I actually want to talk about those those you know forks in the road because personally I love games that have those decisions, have you know things like multiple endings or or kind of consequences for the the choices that you make. So um, kind of how much emphasis on decisions will there be in this game? Because I'm thinking from you know the extreme talk your way out of everything that you could possibly imagine to kind of the more the more lull of you might be just picking uh, a faction to side with and things, you know, how, how much of that is there in this game? So there's, there's not very many uh, opportunities to have uh, to, to make decisions to make, to be like, okay, like, you know, I came across this NPC, you know, we, we had our dialogue, it ended this way, you know, now what do I do? Mm -hmm. But what I will say is that even though those, uh, those moments in the game are kind of few and far between, they have large impacts. Gotcha. Um, 
and that kind of aids the whole idea of like multiple playthroughs and all this kind of stuff you, mm-hmm. you really have to learn who the character is um mm-hmm. you know why they're in the position that they're in as you're playing through this game how they got there all this kind of stuff and some of those npc interactions will shed a lot of light on that um you know it's it's almost you know without without giving away the farm um <laughs> It's, it's almost set up in a way where it's like you have to do a little bit of, of, of digging within the lore to know how to handle these NPC interactions so that they work out in your favor. Um, yeah. So, you know, learning about the background of the character, you know, learning mm-hmm. about how, you know, like I said, how the character got there, why they're there, what they're doing. Right, um, right. And I'm, having I mean, that knowledge kind of intact as you interact with these NPCs is what's going to really determine the positive or negative impact that your interaction with them is going to have. Gotcha, gotcha. And I'm glad you mentioned that because I, I wanted to talk about this before we get into like anything too heavy mechanical. Uh, is that really if you look through this game and kind of look at both from a trailer or the Steam page perspective, there's not like... There's, there's a lot on the types of things you can do, but there's not a lot on the world or, you know, much about who you are. And obviously this seems to be very much focused on it's, it's a selling point in that the story is a, a journey of discovery, right? But is right. there anything from like more of like a high level or, or generic that you can tell us uh, of what to expect from this story? Um, yeah, so when... You know, in, in the trailer and as we continue to drop, you know, more media leading up to the launch and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff, um, what you're going to find out is that, you know, your character has been, you know, trapped in this in this this dimension, right? By the gods yeah. or by these, you know, higher beings or whatever. And uh, your job is to escape, right? So that's kind mm-hmm. of the, like, broad stroke version of what the point of the game is. You know, who you are, what you're doing. However, there's a lot of details, like how long have you been trapped there, uh, you know, that, that we leave to the player to find out, or, or even why were you trapped there? You know, who is this character that you're playing, and how did they get to this point in their life um, that has led them to be in this, you know, particular set of circumstances? So, um yeah, it's 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 got it, it has a surprisingly deep lore, um, but it's presented in such a way that that challenges the player, um, you know, to really learn. Uh, and you know, the thing that's that, that I find to be good about it is that none of that stuff is required, right? Like you don't need to know the history of the world and the backstory of the character to beat the game, but if you do. You know, if you if you are a story centric person, if you want to learn about all this kind of stuff, um, you know, you'll find yourself in a position where that knowledge can reward you in game um, as you as you progress through the through the character's journey. Very cool. I know uh, a good amount of people that will be very excited by that. Yeah. <laughs> let's um, let's talk about the crafting portion of this game because obviously that seems to be the main. Uh, not not main thing, but that's that's really a a big portion of this, right? Yeah. Um, I'm personally I I don't play that many crafting games. I I've played a couple, um, and it's usually far 
and few in between just for me personally, but a lot of my friend group and people that listen to this show, I know, uh, have a lot of love for it. Um, how much of this game will really require you to become proficient in this crafting? You know, like if, if you're thinking of this game, um, and I'm going to talk about this in a, in a second, but one of the games that this really reminds me of is Terraria. Um, mm -hmm. And so in that, you have to be very, you know, uh, very proficient in the crafting side to get through to a lot of things, right? Is that kind of how this game is? Is it very much a, you're going to need to pick up that that crafting, uh, you know, proficiency, you're going to need to learn and, and create things and go along the way, otherwise you'll have kind of a terrible time? Um yeah yes and no so the, so there's no the difference is the main difference between uh terraria and rise i would say is that like in terraria like you mentioned you have to like level up certain crafting proficiencies you need to be mm -hmm. able to to you know uh have a character that is well-rounded enough in these different crafting areas that it's like okay cool i can get through the game now without running into too many huge roadblocks with Rise, it's much more about, you know, what you can find throughout the game that will help you access certain areas, that will help you find more things, that will help you access certain areas and all that kind of mm -hmm. stuff. So, uh, more in of a scrappiness. Sense, yeah, in that sense, it, it, exactly. It does, it does follow kind of more of a traditional Metroidvania thing where it's, it's not that certain areas are locked, but you do need to have certain components or certain recipes in order to, to access certain places. Um, but the, the gamut in which, uh, those things exist is super wide, right? So mm -hmm. it's like, say for, for example, so that it doesn't just sound mysterious and out of context. Um, <laughs> so for example, say you get, uh, the box recipe, right? And now you can craft, now you can craft crates. Yep. So, you know, you see, uh, a, a chest or something on like, a a ledge that you can't quite reach. Um, so at that point you have, you know, okay, well I'll just, you know, use some of these, uh, you know, crafting ingredients and, and build a stack of boxes and I can kind of like create like a staircase and jump, you know, from here and there, maybe make a couple switchbacks and like, cool. Now I'm at this, this platform that I couldn't reach. But on the other hand, it's like, say you got the springboard, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you could then, you know, use that springboard recipe to create something that will launch you to an adjacent platform and then use another one that will launch you to the platform that you were trying to get to. Or say it wasn't a crafting thing, it was a skill-based thing. And, you know, there's certain skills that allow you to like double jump or even like triple jump and like stay suspended in animation for a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you could use that instead. So it's, it's less about forcing the player to like collect certain things to grant them access to certain areas of the map and more about challenging the player to come up with unique ways based off of what they have to solve the problem at hand. Right. So uh, that's kind of how the crafting system is structured. I am right there with you. It took a lot for me to not just like jump in and interrupt in that like I hate crafting games like <laughs> I, I never play them uh i like when everyone was like super hype on animal crossing sorry nintendo i love you i still buy all your other stuff bro i could not vibe i just couldn't get into it i was just like it's not gonna happen like i can't play a game where the point is like 
making a house and filling it with shit that I have to like build from farming and trading like this. What is this fucking e-commerce? Like I can't, can't do it. Um, so <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I, I hate crafting games. Uh, so when it was originally presented to me like, Oh yeah, crafting is a big part of this game. I was very hesitant and yeah. I had to like really, you know, look into what type of crafting it is. And I think that, that this type of, of crafting is almost more like puzzle oriented rather mm-hmm. than progress oriented and i think that that's what i what really draws me in as someone who isn't super big on crafting games right right yeah, yeah. um i am right there with you i honestly kind of danced around it because i'm pretty much in the same boat but yeah. i am excited and from your response think that that's more on my page of oh okay it's not as much a like you said filling a house with shit it's finding ways to to combine items to make something that will let you get from point a to point b or you know be able to effectively beat a certain boss or something in that um let's talk about bosses because in the trailer the main thing that we saw was a giant dragon yeah and it gets me excited for potential bosses because uh one the thing is huge and two there's a number of screenshots where you have like a million hearts which is kind of crazy um, yeah. because that lends itself to more hectic fights and kind of the, the need for having that much health, right? You know, right. Um, do you have a number of bosses mapped out so far? And um, one of the things is, are they pertinent to the story? I'm thinking of kind of like the multiple endings or just things to do in these different worlds. Like, is it a linear style? Is there certain bosses that might be these like, optional bosses that have something to do with possibly like a different ending like i know i'm giving you a bunch of things but i'm just a lot of questions come to mind when i see the different bosses and what's potentially possible here um so let me let me tackle this in a few different a few different steps so uh yes uh definitely our bosses there's currently between like six and eight um that number could go in either direction uh, as it stands uh, given where we are in the development process Yep. Um, some of them are absolutely required bosses. Um, mm-hmm. Some of them are optional. Uh, how those optional bosses affect the world has thus far uh, not so much been lore oriented, um, but is more of like in a like a like a Breath of the Wild type of thing, right? Where it's like. Okay. Look, at any point, you can go to Hyrule Castle and try to fight Calamity Ganon, but you're going to get shit housed. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if you haven't, like, the technical gone time. through the rest of the game and, uh, you know, gathered what you need and gotten all the right tools. So with Rise, because of the way that the game is structured and there's no real locked-off areas or anything like that, like, there's definitely a, a preferred way to go through the game. Right. But you could find yourself, you know going to the the very top of the spine of the cursed where you where the game takes place and finding the final boss and uh just getting destroyed right yeah. so i'm sure i'm sure down the road we'll end up getting a reverse boss speed run yeah yes exactly god i can't wait um <laughs> but you know those those points will you know are are possible it's possible to to cross those thresholds and, and get to a point where it's like oh shit like i i went to a place that i wasn't ready to go yet so some of those optional bosses, uh, like I said, are less centered around lore mm-hmm. and are more so focused on like getting you to a point 
with your character where you're you know you're strong enough to go fight these these end game bosses um so it's 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 much more about progression of the actual character more than progression of the story when it comes to any kind of like big boss battles or even optional boss battles yeah. um we keep a lot of the story stuff reserved for like npc interactions okay um, and that's kind of where you know what i was talking about earlier where it's like the more you learn about the characters the more you like read into the texts that you find and all this kind of stuff um you know will help give you like a, a strategic edge in your interactions with npcs that will then you know help or hurt you along the way um yeah. whereas bosses are more of like a test of strength with a reward at the end of them yeah that makes sense so yeah. because there's so many different things right and there's so many different uh patterns or not patterns but uh, you know paths that you can take i assume that timing is probably hard to estimate but and and obviously you're still in development um but when you're thinking about kind of the the anticipated average time of completion for say a run do you have anything like that are you you looking at a certain amount of hours that you think it might take someone to complete the game yeah i mean right now with the demo it's kind of like a perfect barometer right like if you have never played the game before if you're just diving right in and you go to try to complete the demo it'll probably take you around three to four hours mm -hmm. um but if you've already played it before if you're like well versed in what to do and where to go it could take you you know an hour maybe a little bit less right. um so i think it really just kind of depends on what type of playthrough the, the player is trying to execute so if you're you know trying to just go from point to point to point to point and you know collect the things that you need to get to this boss and fight it and be able to take it on you know i'd say it would probably be more in like the 8 to 12 hour range yep that's a good range um but if you're trying to be thorough if you're trying to you know discover all these things in the world collect all the different craftable recipes collect all the different skills talk to all these npcs do all these optional bosses i think that you'd probably be looking more at like the you know 24 to 32 uh hour range mm -hmm. um for like a completionist run maybe even more than that um to be completely honest uh you know as as we continue to add things and take things away in the development process yeah very true and plus you're you know promoting these multiple endings so uh maybe you play it again and obviously that's going to add to that uh, that time counter exactly well um I'm, we're going to be wrapping this up soon, but I did want to ask a couple of last questions. One of them is, and this is probably uh, an obvious question that you anticipated, but I see the game is listed as summer of 2021. Now, I know you won't give an exact date. That'd be crazy. Um, but what I will ask is, are you still expecting to try and hit that goal? Uh, are there any you know anticipations that this might move a bit uh, at this point? And just in general, kind of how has the development process been going? So uh, the development process has been going super great. Um, you know, as I mentioned a little earlier, once we shifted gears over towards uh, this new lead dev, um, you know, he's been making like incredible strides. So I, I do feel super confident that we're going to be able to get a release out uh, summer 2021. I think the biggest question that we're asking ourselves at this point is whether or not we want to release it as like a full on 1.0 and like continue to add things as like little expansions or DLC packs or anything like that or whether or not we want to just release the game into early access um, and continue to add things based off of, you know, live player feedback and uh, stuff like that. So mm -hmm. um, I think that's probably the biggest question that we're, you know, 
currently in talks about during the development process is how we want to handle this release. But I definitely, you know, can say with confidence that a release of, you know, some kind, whether it's a full 1.0 or an early access release will definitely be coming in uh, summer 2021. Well, that is exciting. Um, let's wrap this up with the last question that I always like to ask any of the people that come on the show. I think this is an interesting one, especially from your, uh, shoes, just because, you know, uh, your company is fairly new. You're a publisher. Normally we're, we're asking these of the, the people who are developing, but really I, I always like to ask kind of just advice from those who are in the indie space, because there's a lot of listeners who maybe they want to get into this field. Maybe they want to do something with this. They want to start their own project. They want to start their own company, whatever it is, right? Um, for those listening who might be interested in that, do you have any tips or advice of things that you've learned throughout this uh, you know, year or two uh, with Proponent Games? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it really depends on what space you're trying to get into, whether it's development or art or marketing or publishing or you know all, there's there's so many different opportunities within the games industry um mm -hmm. my biggest piece of advice would be to just you know find what you're good at find what you enjoy and then just be absolutely unashamed in the way that you pursue it um <laughs> i feel like there's a lot of uh ladder climbing and a lot of you know oh i need to impress this person to get this opportunity because you know, this sector of the industry is very clicky or whatever it might be. Right. Um, my, my biggest advice is to just disregard all that bullshit. Um, <laughs> it's, it's really much less important uh, than you think. And it sets a precedent for who you are. Um, you know, if, if you enter the industry or any industry, really being, you know, the, the stair climber, ass kissy type of person, that's how you're going to get pigeonholed. Um, and while you, while you might achieve opportunities and, you know, small, small steps in a relatively short amount of time, ultimately you're going to find yourself hitting a bottleneck, uh, mm -hmm. probably more quickly than you might expect. Um, you know, this, this industry was founded on the ideas of, you know, individualism and creativity and, you know, really carving your own niche. And I think that those things are still at the core of the games industry, what really caused people to, to succeed and to propel themselves, you know, through the industry to the place where they want to be. So uh, I'd say that my biggest piece of advice is to just, you know, find out who you are, who you want to do, why you want to do it, and then just put everything into it, you know, jump in with both feet. Don't worry about who you're going to please or who you're going to make mad or anything like that, because this industry is so vast that, you know, when one door closes, another one opens. So, uh, you know, stick to your guns, you know, nose to the grindstone. Obviously it's a lot of hard work and it takes a lot of time, but <laughs> if you're, course. uh, if you're true, true to yourself, you will find yourself in a much better position in the long run. All right. Very solid advice. So for those listening, Rise of the Betrayer is currently in development, but a demo did just drop. So if any of this has sounded interesting to you, go over to their steam page, download it, check it out. If you're interested in the game, obviously when it comes out, wishlist it. It helps with discoverability. And then I guess if you're, you know, an indie dev who's looking for a publisher, you could always hit up Proponent Games. If you're really passionate about it, they might, uh, they might be willing to work with you. Uh, but once again, thank you so much for joining today. Thank you for having me, man. It was an awesome time.